1,218. And uh, if you don't know David, he's been a member of the church here for four years. He's a home group leader. He also works uh, as a consultant during the day. And uh, he's got uh, uh, the next installment of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 for us. So before he begins, let's pray for him. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Come now and inspire our hearts. Would you, Lord, bear witness to our hearts as your word is preached, that we might walk more closely to you. Amen. Great. Thanks, Dave. Good evening, St. Mark's. So tonight, as Dave said, we're going to be looking together at our next section in 1 Peter. We'll be looking at 1 Peter 2 on page 1218, continuing our series on growing. We're going to be looking at growing specifically in humility and particularly at submission to the governing authorities that God has instituted for our benefit. So look down with me at 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? For if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled the insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the first thing that we need to remember when we start talking about submission is that submission is principally a character, uh, part of the character of God. In the Trinity, we see that whilst each of the persons of the Trinity are equal in their essence, individually each fully God, they're quite different in role and function. We read in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that the head of Christ is God. And we know that ultimately, knowing that he was about to die in the garden, Jesus submits to the will of his father, saying, not my will, but yours be done. Although Jesus is fully divine, he recognizes the authority of the father. Secondly, we should remember that all authority is delegated by God. The Bible says that the God, is, God is the head of all rule and authority. 
the writer of Hebrews reminds church leaders like Dave and Paul that they will have to give an account of the way that they have exercised the authority given to them. And when standing before Pontius Pilate, Jesus reminds him that you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. But the problem is that when it comes to us as people, none of us finds this submission thing particularly easy. We're children of Adam and Eve who chose to disobey the command of God as they were tempted to be like him by the serpent rather than submit to him. This is the root of all our sin. The Bible also tells us that Satan himself was cast from heaven because of his own pride, rebelling against the place he'd been given in the angelic hierarchy, wanting to rule over God instead. In the same way as our first parents sinned against God, we have pride in our hearts. We refuse to depend on God and be subject to him and to each other. Instead, we think that we deserve a better position, a status or a rank. We denigrate the authority of God by demanding something else. And so, aware of our legacy in Adam and Eve and our own prideful hearts, we come to Peter's letter and we see that the Christians he's writing to are also having a hard time submitting. We know from the start of the book that he's writing to the early church, which had been scattered far and wide from Jerusalem. Peter is commending these Christians, who were probably quite new in their faith, to submit to the governing authorities despite their unjust treatment. Now, they're likely being socially ostracized or discriminated against, rather than persecuted, uh, which is somewhat comparable to the situation that perhaps we think of ourselves in today. It was only on later during the reign of Nero that Christians would begin to be persecuted and put to death more widely in all sorts of sickening ways. So in our passage, verse 13, Peter calls us to submit to every human authority. Human authorities are one way that God creates order out of chaos. He gives us society and community in which we can flourish for each other's mutual benefit and for the fulfillment of his mission. So the church is to submit to Christ, servants to their masters, children to their parents, wives to their husbands, young people to their elders, church members to their leaders, and believers to their government, as we see in verse 13. What we see is that God has created amongst his people a beautiful and intricate structure whereby those in authority are also under authority, and thereby he organizes us for our mutual benefit. In our country, submitting to our government is a lot easier than elsewhere. Despite what we might think of specific politicians and lawmakers, the UK is still based in the majority on Christian principles, which most of us can submit to without too much trouble. In calling us to submit to our government, Peter is telling us that we should obey the law and uphold the work of those who seek justice. We should pay our taxes, all of them, and we should be good citizens in our communities, our city and our nation. We should participate in civic activities. We should pursue careers in politics, law, policing. And we should encourage those and support those who are in, jobs in, uh, in those jobs in the work that they do. We give our taxes generously and cheerfully, knowing that by submitting to the laws of the land, we're giving our money to people who need it more than we do. We are also called to submit to the spiritual authority of our church leaders. 
Now, for some of you, this might seem a bit odd because you think, well, church is voluntary, I turn up when I like, and we're all just friends, right? Well, we are friends, and we do love one another, but the Bible talks a lot about the importance of putting in place the right leaders in the church to direct, inspire, rebuke, and encourage the rest of us as believers so that we can best carry out the mission of God here in London, which is to tell people about Jesus and to make disciples. If you are a member of St. Mark's, you're called to submit to the authority of its leadership. This means that the pastoral structure of home group and connect group leaders and the staff and ministry leaders commit to walking with you as you mature as a Christian and that you commit to recognizing the role that God has given them in your spiritual growth. Every human authority also includes our places of work, our jobs and our schools. Be a good employee or student. Work hard even when no one's watching. Talk respectfully about your employer or your teacher and show them respect. And don't be too proud to take on the lowly tasks. Okay, so what about the exceptions? What about when my boss is an idiot? What about when I don't respect my home group leader or I can't follow what my parents are telling me? There are some exceptions, but these are very rare, and they're specifically when we're being asked to sin against God, either by doing something that he has commanded us not to do, sins of commission, or by not doing something that he has commanded us to do, sins of omission. To flesh this out, I thought it'd be useful to give you a few examples uh, of legitimate rebellion against authority that we find in the Bible. You may remember the story in Exodus 1 where we find the midwives of Israel whom Pharaoh commanded to kill any newborn boys. The Bible says that because the midwives feared God, they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. Because they understood that murder is a sin, they deliberately disobeyed Pharaoh. The author goes on to say that God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families. In Daniel 3, Daniel and his companions are thrown into a fiery furnace because they will not obey the king and worship the golden statue that he's built. Understanding that worshipping anything but God is a sin, Daniel was willing to die instead of submit to the authority of the leader. We know that God saved Daniel and therefore that he commended his obedience to the Lord. And Peter himself, the author of our passage today, is commanded by the Jewish leaders in the book of Acts to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And yet in Acts 5, they're released from prison by an angel and begin to teach in the temple at dawn. So there are clearly some instances where we shouldn't submit to some human authority. But most of our rebellion is not because we're being called to sin against God or even to stand up for some noble cause but instead because we are inherently selfish and prideful. So often do we look at the people who oversee us at work or at church, in our parliaments and our councils, and we think, if only I were in charge. We should consider our hearts very carefully before we rebel against human authority. Civil disobedience and conscientious objection should be seen as a very last resort after good counsel and earnest effort and in situations where we have no alternative. So what does Peter say that we should do instead of rebelling? 
in verses 15 and 16, he tells us that we should live as people who are free and to use our freedom to serve, that by doing so, we will silence ignorant fools. Now, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that there are lots of ignorant fools out there. People who, for a variety of reasons, think that Christianity is a terrible evil. One R. Dawkins writes, I think a case can be made that faith is one of the world's great evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. Peter says, serve them. He says, just before our passage starts in verse 12, to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We are watched very closely as Christians. We need to be very careful how we behave. The way that we submit to each other, to our bosses and church leaders, and to God himself speaks powerfully for the extent to which we ourselves believe the gospel in our own sinfulness and in the ultimate glory of God. Look down at the passage with me at verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Honour them, be kind, especially to the lost and the last and the least. These are the ones that Jesus went to. Are you polite to the barista who pours your coffee in the morning? Or the security guard that you walk past each day? Do you smile? Do you acknowledge that they're a person too? They have their own hopes and dreams and doubts and insecurities? Whilst being nice doesn't earn us salvation. Peter is clear that the way that we treat people can undermine the work of the gospel in their lives. Secondly, in verse 17, love the brotherhood of believers. Jesus tells us that by the love that we have for one another, people will recognize us as his disciples. We want to be a loving, forgiving community that carries one another's burdens, that prays for the sick and visits them in hospital, one that gives generously to those who are in need, people that lovingly and encouragingly challenge and rebuke each other and to encourage each other to keep going and to pursue God with every fiber of our being. Love the brotherhood of believers. Love God's church. It's his bride and he died for it. Thirdly, fear God. Revere him and worship him. Fall down at his feet in adoration. Don't worship man. Worship God. Are you a people pleaser? Peter warns us that whilst we should serve people, we shouldn't forget the object of our worship. Paul writes to the Galatians, If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And finally, honour the king. Respect your leaders. Pray for them. Vote. Seek justice. Serve your community. The gospel is offensive enough as it is. The idea that our own contribution to our salvation is worth precisely nothing grates against our pride and our sense of self-importance. Let's not get in the way and add another stumbling block that is our own character. We want people to react to Christ and not to Christians. It's about Jesus and it's about his gospel. Submit well, serve well, and finally, suffer well. 
Peter knows that as Christians, we will share in Christ's sufferings. Paul shared with us a few weeks ago about three types of suffering. Firstly, suffering in sickness. Suffering in doubt and temptation. And finally, suffering in opposition or persecution. We will be mocked. We will be sidelined, ignored, baited, and maybe even persecuted because we follow Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down only seven or eight years after he wrote this letter for his faith. So how does he tell us to respond to ungodly authority? He says in verse 16 that we should not use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. This means that whilst we might suffer as Christians, we are not expected to suffer silently. And in particular, we are to use our freedom to expose evil deeds so that others might be relieved from their suffering. As an aside, we should note that when Peter refers to slaves, he's talking about bond servants who had quite a different status to slaves in our more modern view of slavery. What we don't want to do is take away tonight the view that the Bible uh, condones slavery. The Bible is very clear that slavery is sinful. And in his letter uh, to one Ti- in 1 Timothy, Paul calls enslavers lawless, disobedient, and ungodly sl- sinners. But if we cannot end our suffering by exposing evil, Peter tells us firstly to continue to submit. In verse 20, to endure our suffering by God's power. And he later tells us to rejoice in our sufferings. Sometimes we will have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There is no doubt about it. It is a false gospel that says that God will magic away our sufferings when we become Christians. God doesn't promise to get us around our sufferings. He promises that he will never leave us or forsake us and that he will get us through our sufferings. Secondly, we should exploit our suffering for God's glory. Peter tells us that enduring unjust suffering is commendable before God. The Bible deals with suffering very gently and very tenderly. But here Peter is reminding us that if we're going to suffer, we might as well make it count for the gospel. Don't waste your suffering. And lastly, Peter tells us that through Christ's example in verse 23, to entrust our suffering to God's victory. Like Jesus, we should entrust our suffering to him who judges justly. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. We suffer because of Christ, for Christ, and with Christ. We can suffer well by enduring, exploiting, and entrusting because, as Peter tells us in verse 21, we have an example to follow. Unlike you or me, Peter, who spent three years with Jesus, says in verse 22 that he committed no sin. And yet he took the most brutal punishment on our behalf so that we could be reconnected to God. Not only was Jesus murdered in the most horrific and painful way imaginable, he was also separated spiritually from the love of God as the sin of the world was heaped upon him instead of us. And yes, we do suffer, but we need to remember that when it comes to Christ, We are not the victims, 
but we are the abusers. Our sin held him there on the cross. Verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. St. Mark's places a very high value on leadership, which I personally really appreciate. The church needs godly leaders to shepherd God's flock and to point to Jesus. But the church is ultimately a family of followers. Jesus places great esteem on humble, willing, intelligent submission. He calls us to be followers and to submit. And our godly submission is only going to get harder as debates rage on topics like homosexuality and abortion and euthanasia. Let's learn when to submit and when not to submit. Let's learn how to submit and how not to submit. I know that some of you here amongst us have and are suffering at the hands of ungodly authority. Some of you might be suffering under an abusive boss or co-worker. Some of you have parents who criticize you and demean you. And some of you have suffered gravely at the hands of especially brutal ungodly authority in the form of domestic abuse. And what I want to say to you tonight is this. God hates the abuse of the authority that he gives. He tells the early believers not to use the freedom that they have in Christ as a cover-up for evil. So if you are suffering in an abusive situation of any sort, I urge you to appeal to a higher authority. Speak to the pastoral staff here at St. Mark's. Speak to a home group leader or your connect group leader. Speak to God We love you, and we want to tell you now that suffering unjustly and silently is not what God wants for you. Some of us need to submit. Maybe we need to repent of our pride. Maybe we need to apologize to someone because we've neglected to submit to them in the way God wants us to. Maybe you need to start declaring that cash that you're earning on the side. Maybe you need to say sorry to a boss, a family member, or a church leader because of the way that you've been talking about them behind their back, disrespecting them. Maybe you need to submit to the spiritual authority of the church and become a member here. Join a home group, roll up your sleeves, get involved, and start giving of yourself rather than taking from the fringes. And for some of us, God might be calling you to submit to him for the first time. For too long, you've thought that you're king of your own castle or captain of your own ship, but you're not. God has the highest authority and all heaven and earth are his. As Peter tells us in verse 25, he is the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He longs for you to hear the call to come to him, to walk with him, to follow him. That is this call. You can choose to follow Jesus right here tonight if you don't know him. Some of us need to serve because the eyes of the world are upon our selfish hearts. By this, we will silence the ignorance of foolish people who think that they know Jesus when actually they only know us, broken and sinful. Let's not get in the way of God. Let's bend over backwards to serve our communities, 
our neighbours, our bosses, our colleagues. Let's love each other. And by this, let's show people the love of God. And some of you might be suffering tonight. Maybe you're suffering physically, or you're suffering doubts, or you might even be suffering just because you're following Jesus. God loves you. God sees you. God adores you, and he says, endure it by my power. Exploit it for my glory. Entrust it to my victory. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And whilst that doesn't mean that everybody is going to become a Christian, it does mean that one day everyone will recognize the authority that Jesus has. And in that moment, God tells us that each of us will stand before him and give an account of our lives. For those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus will have him standing next to us, telling the Father, not guilty. Our sins have been forgotten. Our suffering will be no more. He will wipe away every tear and we will spend eternity with him. Let's pray. God, you are our mighty king. You are victorious over sin and death and suffering. We thank you for your authority and for the authority that you give us through human institutions. Help us now to submit well. Help us, Lord, to silence the ignorance of foolish people by serving them well. Give us servant hearts, Lord. And Father, for those of us who are suffering, please, by your spirit, help us to suffer well. Help us to endure by your power. Help us to use our suffering for your glory. And help us to entrust our suffering to you who judges justly. Amen.